Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Happy New Year and happy eighth day of Christmas. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm Father Morgan Reed, the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. And we are in the middle of this small season, this 12-day season called Christmas Tide. You've heard me talk about keeping Christmas out of Advent. Well, go hard for these 12 days. It's Christmas. Uh, and today is the eighth day where we focus on uh, this event where Jesus' parents brought him the eighth day to be circumcised. And he's given the name that the angel had revealed to Mary before Jesus was ever conceived. Um, that he was the savior of all mankind. So as we get to our passage this morning in the gospel, let me pray for us as we begin. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Almighty, give us grace faithfully to bear the name of Jesus and to worship him with pure hearts according to the new covenant. We pray this in the great name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, names are important. I mean, they're not neutral. I, I was thinking back to somebody that I used to visit quite often in a pastoral context, and they had a pretty challenging childhood. As part of their own healing process, one of the things that they did was they actually legally changed their first name. Um, and now they're married, and when they got married, they were really quick to take on their husband's last name. So from first name to last name, uh, they are a complete reflection of a new person in a new family. And I'm not suggesting that if you've had trauma that changing your name is necessarily going to erase the trauma, um, and it shouldn't be prescriptive, but I do think what that illustrates is that names are important. They have power. They're not neutral, um, especially our family name. When we think of the ways that we're identified, that we're placed into a context, names are important. The other night, I was having, uh, Ashley and I were having dinner with, with the Mileses, and, and Shepard and Eli had some really profound things to say about baptism. And um, through that conversation, Eli had mentioned something where he said, you know, when we're, when we're baptized, we're given a new family. I thought that was really spot on. Um, it doesn't eliminate our family here. It doesn't detract from the family that God has placed us in. But in our baptism with faith, we're placed into Christ. We're adopted as children of God. We're made part of this family that Jesus loves, this family that Jesus died for. By grace, baptism puts the human family identity into the context of the heavenly family identity. And so on this eighth day of Christmas, we remember Jesus fulfilling the old covenant and being given the name that's above all names, bringing about a new covenant. At the same time, when we think of circumcision, circumcision only pointed towards this greater reality that of, for people who would be baptized into the body of Christ. And through baptism, you and I are made the family of God. We're part of this family where we, each one of us, bear the name of Christ. 
Each one of us have on us the name of Jesus. And so in our passage today, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, we can kind of see them as like the first disciples of Jesus. Even before he could have said anything, they're following Jesus. And they they give us this really helpful paradigm for what it looks like to follow the Messiah. What does it look like to follow Jesus faithfully? Well, in this passage, it looks like responding positively to the revelation of God and doing so in a way that has a contemplative kind of trust that obeys Jesus even when things don't always make sense, even when there's questions. So let's first look at the shepherds. If you have your Bibles, this is uh, Luke. um, It starts at verse 15. It's Luke 20. Sorry, Luke 2 verses starting at verse 15. So the shepherds, they were with their flocks by night. And all of a sudden, out of the night sky appears a light from heaven. The heavens break forth, and the angels declare that there is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I want to think about the context of that kind of revelation for a second. Caesar Augustus has not not too long ago, declared himself uh, emperor, has turned this great Roman Republic into an empire with himself as its leader. Augustus, Caesar Augustus, had credited himself with bringing justice and peace to the entire world. He declared his dead dad, who was Julius Caesar, to be divine, which would make him the son of God. And he ushered in this new reality, uh, a new Roman era, where Augustus is pictured as the savior of the world, the world's king, the world's lord. And so parts of the empire, we know, actually worshipped Augustus as a god. Contrast that picture, the scene of empire with a handful of shepherds out in the Judean wilderness under the night sky. Somewhere out in this Palestinian frontier, there's a boy who's born. And in not, not even 40 years later, he is going to be called the Son of God. And that's going to be the King of the world, the Savior, and it's Lord. And so that brings up this clash that St. Luke often presents in his gospel. There's this clash between the empire of the world and God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is coming through, but the way that it's coming through is in weakness and vulnerability and smallness, insignificance, but also in love. It's very different. And so these shepherds give us this helpful paradigm. God breaks into our everyday experiences all the time with the presence of Jesus through the people we encounter, through the words that are spoken to us, through the words that we speak. Do we live with the kind of expectancy that we find in the shepherds that we would expect to encounter the glory of God? And that takes a lot of intention to be attuned to. It requires us to slow down. It requires us to listen and not just get through each day surviving. The shepherds were expecting. So the angels depart. They go back. The shepherds react to God's revelation with faith. Their reaction is this, let's go right now. Um, You can't see it in the ESV, but the idea is, like, right now, let's go. Stop what we're doing. we got to go to Bethlehem, and we need to see this thing that's taking place that the Lord just revealed to us. 
everything has been put aside so that they can find Jesus. They didn't actually know fully what they were going to encounter. But the heavens had just testified to the things that Mary and Joseph had been keeping a secret in their hearts for nine months. And these shepherds were given God's revelation to testify and to confirm those promises to Mary and Joseph. So they hear the message and they go. When they get there, they start proclaiming what they've seen. And the people that are there with Mary and Joseph and the baby, it says they're marveling with astonishment. And all of those responses are good responses. Uh, The shepherds and the marveling as they hear. Notice, though, that there are different responses than the responses of the faithful parents, Mary and Joseph, uh, who had been carrying this secret for nine long months. They're hearing the shepherds and says that Mary is pondering. Says that Mary stored all these things in her heart, pondering them. And the idea is that she's quietly working at putting all the pieces together. It reminds me of that famous Christmas carol, Mary, did you know the lyrics? Did you know that when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God? I think she did. I think she actually did know. But just like us, she couldn't fully comprehend the mystery of the incarnation. What does all that mean? There's a process of pondering, of teasing these things out, of working them out and putting the pieces together in our hearts. And so in St. Luke's uh, accounting of the birth of Christ, Mary is often pictured as this faithful response to following Jesus. She sees all the events around her. She sees what's happening uh, on the cultural stage. And she's contemplating what's happening around her in light uh, of the significance of this little child. She's pondering. She's putting the pieces together. She's wrestling to put it all together, to see and to understand all that God might be doing. She's intimately acquainted with all the things happening around the birth of Christ. And she's struggling to grasp all that that might mean. Mary is working it out in faith. And I think that you and I are also called to work it out in faith. When we see the things around us, when we're pondering, when we're wrestling, there's this disposition of faith that we have as we work the significance of Christ out in our hearts. Even when we might feel scared of what it means to be faithful to Jesus. I mean, it would have been frightening, actually, if you think about how costly it would have been for Mary to work out what it means to give birth to the Messiah. Someone who's going to challenge the power of the empire. Someone who's going to challenge the power of the religious system to which she herself is very faithful. As she sees these things starting to take place, she starts to put together how costly this might be. And notice that even though she's still working it out, what this confirmation meant from the shepherds, she still responds with faithfulness. So after eight days, after eight days after Jesus is born, she brings him to to be circumcised and to receive his name. They were faithful to God's law, but more important than that, they were faithful to the revelation that the angel had given them before Jesus was even conceived in the womb. And in this chapter, I think we see several helpful paradigms of faith. First, faith is expectant. Faith is expectant. And it responds positively to God's revelation to us. 
Do we expect to see glimpses of God's kingdom throughout our day? Is that something we expect, anticipate, look forward to? We need to make time to consider where we've seen, uh, where we've seen it. These are crucial as we follow Christ. So God speaks to us in all kinds of ways. Uh, if we would stop and ponder and reflect on the scriptures and pray. Second, faith has this contemplative element to it. Part of living in faith is spending time just putting the pieces together. God may not give you enough puzzle pieces to put all of the puzzle together, to say, okay, I've figured it out. But he does give us pieces here and there to put together little sections or even to connect different sections. God's giving us the pieces to put it together. But we need to make time to ask the question, how is God coming to me in my joys, in the things that are really hard? Am I making time for that? Whether it's through journaling or conversations with a trusted friend or a spiritual director or a mentor, we need to make regular time for contemplation, for putting things together. Those, those revelations of God in the person of Christ. We need to tease out the implications of who Jesus is. Third, faith responds in action and in testimony. And in this passage, the shepherds go to see what God is talking about. We also see that Mary brings the baby to receive his name in faithfulness to God's revelation. Notice that she doesn't just preserve the child for herself. She doesn't uh, try and do everything possible just to keep things the way that she would like them to be. But in faith, she, re- she um, releases Jesus fully to the will of God. Which I think is actually, if you're a parent in here, that's a really great lesson in faithfulness as a parent. To fully release your child to the will of God. Jesus was part of a Jewish family, right? This is immediate family. This family of Mary and Joseph. And yet we know, as things have been worked out, he is the eternally begotten son of the, of the Father in heaven for the salvation of the nations. And, and that's a mystery that we know. It's a mystery that we can affirm, but it's also a mystery that you and I can never fully comprehend, which is why we ponder. And yet, it's because of that mystery that you and I, as Eli had reminded me the other day, it's why we're given two families. Uh, We are born with a surname, a family name that's not of our choosing. It puts us in a context, it places us in a geography, a culture, it ascribes us some aspect of our identity. Those things are always going to be part of us, right? They're part of God's story for us. They play a role in our story. Grace doesn't destroy nature. It makes it new. And St. Paul says in Titus, uh, he says to Titus in Titus 3, 4 through 6, he says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Then he also says in Ephesians 2.19, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It's the kingdom of God that gives context to how 
we live amidst the darkness of the kingdoms of this world. It's the family of God that we're brought into through baptism and faith that gives us context for how we live faithfully in the households in which God has actually placed us now. In Christ, we can live with that expectation and hope that as we search for him, he will be found. This little baby confronted the empire with God's love and God's light. Uh, And Jesus still confronts our darkness and the darkness of the world with his love and his light. And you're going to hear reminders of that today in the baptism liturgy. We get to be reminded of our own baptism where we hear the prayers and we remember what God has done for us in this and in, in the sacrifice of Christ and in his resurrection. And so let the prayers today encourage you. Be encouraged this morning. May God grab our attention as we hear these prayers so that we learn to go in expectant anticipation of experiencing the joy of God's saving work in new ways today. You and I are called to bear the name of Christ in this world. So let's follow the examples of faithfulness that we see in the shepherds, that we see in Mary and Joseph. And let's follow the Messiah in responding to his revelation with a contemplative kind of anticipation that trusts God and follows him and obeys him even when all of our questions may not yet be answered. Let me pray for us. O oh God, the light of the minds that know you, the life of the souls that love you, and the strength of the wills that serve you, help us so to know you that we may truly love you, and so to love you that we may perfectly serve you, whom to serve is perfect freedom, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.